This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. By the book on BFM 89.9. Hello, everybody. You are listening to By the Book. I'm Lee Chui Lin. Joining me, as always, uh, my fellow fantasy fan, uh, fan of fantastical worlds and beings, Shamila Ganesan. No truer words were said. <laughs> and as a bonus, because it is our monthly book club, joining us for this is BFM's own Lynn Mark. So yes, it's going to be a slightly confusing show. But Lynn, thank you so much for speaking with us. Absolutely. My pleasure, guys. So as is customary with by the book and book club what we do is we pick one book we all read it and we discuss um, and when we have a guest we generally ask our guest to pick the book and this month we're talking about City of Brass um, which was by uh, S.A. Chakraborty and it is the first of three books. Uh, Lynn why did you choose this one to, to go with? So City of Brass for me was uh, okay so a bit of background I love fantasy and I love a good a book with some really good world building. And City of Brass was one of the few books that I've picked up recently that really just sucked me uh, into its world, you know, of 18th century Cairo and then the uh, kind of fantastical kingdoms that, that are also uh, involved in this, you know, cities of jinn and whatsoever. And um, I thought how it uh, played with the legends surrounding, you know, genies and flying carpets, I thought it was very clever. Uh, and... I, it was just generally an exciting story. And uh, it was one of those that really stuck with me, even after I blazed through it and the following two books. <laughs> so I was glad of the opportunity to get the chance to reread it. So I think blaze through is, is such an apt way to describe it. <laughs> Firstly, because we're talking <laughs> about creatures that deal with fire. But secondly, because it is one of those books, isn't it? Um, it's the first of the Devabad trilogy. Lynn and I have only read the first, uh, but Lynn, Mark, you finished all three, I, I realize. But no, it's it's one of those that I was a little skeptical when I first read about it because fantasy co-opting different um mythologies has become quite the thing to do now but this book does it so well it plays around with persian mythology and middle eastern mythology um folk tales and and sort of just like draws all of them together in this really exciting adventurous fantastical story i very much enjoyed it from the moment i started reading it i couldn't wait to have free moments when i could go back to reading it. Yeah, I had to start pacing myself because I realized that I was getting too <laughs> caught up in it and, um, you know, sleeping late and also starting to get anxious. I think that a good fantasy book it does the job when you start to get anxious about how are things going to go? Is there going to be a happy ending? No, this is book one. There is no happy ending <laughs> because how is that going to work? So before we get further into it and talk about the story and the writing and what we liked, what we maybe liked less, I think um, it's worth laying out a very bare bones kind of summary of what the story is. And it essentially tells the tale of Nari, who is a street urchin slash healer living on the streets of Cairo right at the beginning of the book. She's like the female, slightly grittier version of Aladdin. Aladdin, exactly. Um, and so she, there she is trying to eke out a living on the streets of Cairo. And one day while performing a sort of mystical rite, which she usually has done, um, you know, she's sort of halfway towards being a scam artist anyway. And so, um, <laughs> you know, while, while performing this rite that she doesn't really expect to work, she accidentally kind of triggers off the beginning of the rest of the story by introducing an ancient being or, or summoning an ancient being back into the world who then tells her that you are not what you think you are. You need to come with me now. Yeah. And uh, I think it's worth saying that <clears throat> this is one of those books that if you're very familiar with um, 
mythology from this region you'll find this hugely exciting i'm but not particularly i recognize some of the references but it was also exciting because then it sent me on this rabbit hole of pausing every couple of pages looking up things like the mythology of jinns and the mythology of devas and and all of these different um beings that exist in persian mythology and middle eastern mythology and it it becomes a sort of part of it is a journey one of those things that you get in a lot of fantasy books so nari and uh, dara who is the being that she ends up accidentally summoning um sort of undertake a journey to go to a land that's not humans right and that's where a lot of the stories take place but the other thing i liked about the story is that it intersperses um it's essentially the story of three different characters so you have nari you have dara and then you have ali who's a prince a prince in the land of jinns and so it kind of cuts between the story being told from the point of view of ali and the point of view of nari and i think that kind of creates the tension and the suspense that works really well throughout the book Yeah, I also think it's worth mentioning, you know, when whenever you have a book with a fantastical setting, there is a certain amount of exposition that has to happen, right? Because you have to introduce the reader to all these different concepts, how you are subverting this legend or that legend. And um because a good portion of this book is spent with Nari and Dara on a journey uh, to the mystical Jin city, you are learning along with Nari the different, you know, the the very confusing elements of Jin society and you're learning from someone who is also not necessarily uh, an objective person and i thought that it was actually very well done and the fact that it also switches points of view to ali means that you are not stuck in an endless cycle of exposition you also do get a helping of politics you get a practical sense of what is actually happening in this city called devabad and to actually underscore what dara is also telling nari as they are making their way there yeah so i think nari not being objective is important and the fact that dara doesn't get necessarily his own point of view chapters and instead is sort of viewed either through either through the eyes of somebody who's traveling with him who's somewhat awestruck by him because he is uh, he is a mystical being he is deity like you know in her eyes he has magic which she does not have access to and simultaneously you are hearing about his history from people who have a very different experience of who he is and um i think because of that uh going back to what you said earlier sharmila about the tension it really triangulates the tension um because you don't know necessarily who is trustworthy what is going on that's where the city politics come in as well it's like real life you don't know who to believe yes and i just wanted to say i really liked nari and i think that that is important to say at at the outset because you spend a good deal of time with her and i think that with a female heroine in a situation like she is right where she's basically um in the thrall of a man who's quote unquote rescued slash kidnapped her we're not sure um i think it's important to like her to to know that she has agency to know that she's kind of spunky but not spunky for spunky sake you know she's she's just a well-rounded believable character that i was happy to spend time with and i think that that's part of what made the story such a pleasure one of the challenges i've had with reading a uh, fantasy that skewed towards this particular audience this isn't actually marketed as ya i don't think it sits in ya but it, it sort of 
straddles YA slash adult fantasy. Um, and one of my challenges as I've gotten older and I read books from this genre is that I often feel like the female characters feel too young and that I've got kind of outgrown those characters. Um, so they start feeling maybe a little immature. They start feeling whiny. They start feeling annoying. Um, none of which to say they're badly written, but they're written for a very specific age. This book, Nari, doesn't do that. And I really enjoyed it. So I like the fact that she is young. She's a young woman. She's, I believe, 18 in the book. Uh, sl slightly older. Yeah. So she's they talk like about how she 20s. hasn't yet reached her quarter century yeah. mark. But she's written in a way that's very appealing to people of all ages, so women of all ages. And she's extremely relatable. She's likable. She can be annoying, but she's also someone that you can identify with. And I think that's really important because you are going to be with her for three books. Mm. And I think it is, it is quite important to identify, yes, with that main character because you kind of you you kind of can't help the question of what would I do in this situation, mm -hmm. right? When you're thinking, when you are faced with a fantasy setting and her choices are very real and uh, very believable. And sometimes, you know, there is no good choice and uh, her choices have consequences. I, I do also just want to mention, you know, the idea of, of characters being written as young, right? The character of Ali, who... In this book, he is an 18-year-old prince. He's been raised in a very isolated setting, not a luxurious one, because um, he, he, as the second son, he has been marked from birth to be his older brother's enforcer, basically, you know, the head of his, his guard. So he, he's had a very sparse, uh, fierce, uh, but isolated upbringing. And that comes across very strongly. And the funny thing was, is that because I'm coming back to City of Brass after having finished the trilogy, is that... I'm really struck with how much he grows over the course of the series because I was struck all over again by actually how annoying he can be, <laughs> as you know, some 18-year-olds are, because he is convinced uh, that his way is the right way. He's very religious. And uh, other characters kind of make comments about him being a zealot, about uh, it being very dangerous when people like him come to power in a situation where they're basically an autocracy, right? His father is monarch and a tyrant, basically. So his growth over just over the course of this book is also really interesting as well, because he is, he is a very young man. He's a teenager. Um, and he is a very believable mm. teenager. Mm. <laughs> I'm glad that we came to Ali because I want to uh, get into his character in a bit more detail. But first, uh, we are going to take a mini break. Um, we are talking today in our monthly book club about The City of Brass, which is the first book in the Devabad trilogy written by S.A. Chakraborty. Have you read it? Are you keen to start reading it? Do you like fantasy um, and particularly fantasy trilogies, which are an investment of time in and of <laughs> themselves? Um, you can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899 and tweet us at BFM Radio. Be free-minded. BFM 89.9. Hello, you are listening to Buy the Book with Lee Chui Lin, Shamila Ganesan and Lin Mark. I'm just saying full <laughs> names to get around the double Lins uh, that we have going on in today's episode. And Lin is here because it is our monthly book club and we're talking about City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. And we were just getting into Ali, who is the second main point of view character um, in this book. And just very, very briefly, for people who don't read fantasy, it is a common trope, right, to have point of view chapters. And this particular book has two. So you've got Nari, who we spoke about earlier, and now Ali. And I wanted to know, did you like Ali? Because I found my, my relationship with Ali shifting a lot 
during the book in that with Nari, I liked her right away. I liked her all the way through till the end. All her decisions made sense to me, even when she was being bratty at, at some points. Ali, on the other hand, is difficult because for all the reasons you said earlier, Lynn, he is religious, um, not in and of itself a problem, but he's rigid about that. He imposes his views on others. Um, he's not a lot of fun. <laughs> and so it, it took me a while to warm up to him. And I think at the beginning, what helps is that he's in Devabad. So every time you switch to Ali, you know you're going to get the views of the city and, and all that. But the character himself took me a while. I'm going to admit that uh, initially I found him a little bit difficult as well. But what saved his character for me is that he is dedicated to trying to do the right thing. And whether or not... And a lot of the times that blows up in his face, right? <laughs> he, he, he undergoes a lot of tests through this first book and he fails most of them miserably. But at his heart... He is a character who's trying to do good, a character who loves his family, and a character who's trying to find his place in the world, which is not necessarily an easy thing to do, much less when you're an 18-year-old, kind of thrown into a morass of court politics, which is something that happens very early on in the book, right? That he goes from his isolated kind of military-esque life, and he's suddenly commanded back to the palace, where he is completely unprepared for the politics that that involves. Um, the only thing I'd say is I actually almost from the beginning warmed up to Ali and looked forward for when he would reappear on the pages. I don't think that's necessarily because he himself was always likable, <laughs> but it's it's definitely a combination of all the things you guys just said. Um, one, I, I think from the very beginning, you get the sense of that he's somebody who cares very deeply um, and he wants to do good. He wants to do the right thing. And I think that, um, especially coupled with the fact that he is very young, was something that I found very appealing. But also it's through his lens that you understand um, the parts of the book that I really enjoyed, the politics, the different cultures of the different Jin communities, uh, the way he sees the city, the family relationships. I think um, none of the other characters have that deep family connection that Ali does. And I love the way he talks about his brother and his father. Um, and so I think He's not always likable, but I really think that in many ways, he was the heart of this book for me. Even though I liked Nari tremendously, Ali was the character that changes the most. He's also the character that made me feel the most. And um, because of that, I, I really enjoyed reading about him. I liked the real politic that the book deals <laughs> in. So um, we've been talking about the city politics of it. And I, I just don't want to say too much simply because, and, and it's partly why we can't talk that much about Dara, even though Dara is also a very significant character, because part of the, the joy of reading the book is in, wait, who is he? Wait, what is happening? And, and the book unfolds it really well. But I like the fact that the book has um, a certain degree of political maturity. Now, I know that we're not dealing with real cities here. I recognize that, you know, Devabad is a sort of almost mythical, mythological place. But the ways in which we see an autocratic leader who recognizes that his family took power in what is essentially a coup or a siege, um, you know, centuries ago, and is now having to negotiate maintaining leadership and being a king while also being a father, um, while also 
ensuring that civil war doesn't break out while also maybe ensuring some conflict breaks out so that I can then, you know, showcase power. I really enjoyed the circle of that. And and that's, of course, a reference to um, Ghassan, who is Ali's father and who is the, the leader of Devabad. Yes, Ghassan is an interesting character. Yes, he is. Um, I, I do enjoy, I enjoy a hefty dose of politics <laughs> in my books, maybe because I'm so immersed in it in real life as well. And I, you know, the themes in City of Brass are ones that are very familiar to us. Right. It is um, a, a, a very multicultural city that is not necessarily peaceful. Um, it talks about different kinds of prejudices. So even though um, Ali, for example, may be extremely benevolent and embracing of one community, he's also very harsh and prejudiced towards another. And juxtaposing that, you know, in, in his character is very interesting. People pointing out those flaws and just generally the the. The undercurrent, I think, of viciousness is something that I enjoyed in the writing of... <laughs> this makes me sound like a terrible person. Did you know that you were going to say this sentence? I don't know if you knew you were going to admit that on air. I, well, you know, it, it is true because, hey, it makes for it makes for interesting reading, yes. right? And it's, you know, and so for this reason, I don't... I see why this doesn't fit into YA categories because this is a book that doesn't really shy away from brutality. And we don't really see war in City of Brass, but a lot of the events of the book are informed by the wars that happened centuries before and the atrocities that were committed by both sides. And that is something that I think it straddles very well, that that war is not black and white everything is grey. Morality is extremely questionable. So I think one of the things that has happened with the fantasy genre, especially now with the proliferation of adaptations and movies and TV shows, is that they've become very definitely set in these categories of you get the Game of Thrones style, super violent, super sexual, densely political stories, or you get the sort of light sprinkling of magic and fantasy, but essentially it's all happy and and light. And um, I love being reminded, and and I realize it's been a long time. I I loved being reminded by this book that there is a medium, that there is a center that you can achieve, and this book does that perfectly. Um, it it is not, it doesn't, it, it isn't, it isn't sort of hung up in its own mythology to the point where you need to kind of remember every plot point and what every character did in page 573. But at the same time, there's enough of a... I loved the connections that you can obviously see towards... um, the things we deal with in real politics, um, religion versus religion versus governance, um, personal freedoms versus societal good. And, and all of those are very clear, but they are not like sort of hammered into you. And it also doesn't require that you need to, um, I don't know, it, it felt like there was just enough. And I think I've missed the just enough kind of fantasy. So now that we've said a bunch of smart, serious things, let's talk about Dara. Um, oh, because, yes. <laughs> because so there are three really central characters, I think, in the book, um, two of whom, like we said, have point of view chapters, one of whom is everywhere all the time, you know, constantly, uh, constantly a background or foreground presence. And that is Dara, who has um, plenty of powers, who has a tragic history and who has really his own set of very firm beliefs and prejudices about what it is to be um, 
to be a, a, a deva, to be a jinn, to be an ifrit, to be all these different things. And Who also smells of smoke and sets your heart aflame. <laughs> Let me just tell you. Bright green eyes. And, and so I bring up Dara in this context because uh, Dara sits almost slightly apart from everything because he always has his own plans. Um, it, it's a central pain point really for Nari that she's constantly asking him in an understandable way. What's your history? Tell me your whole story. But Dara is also where all the YA stuff comes in, frankly. Um, and Dara, all the stuff with him was where um, I found myself getting almost mad at the book for being good because I was thinking, I thought I'd outgrown this. <laughs> I thought I'd outgrown all this, you know, sort of teenage love struck stuff. But then here we are. Here we are back again. I mean, I did not expect to find myself giggling and blushing reading this book. And I did. And I felt really ashamed of myself because I'm like, I'm sorry, this I should have gone past this 20 years ago. No, but you're right. But And I don't mean that in a shallow way. Dara's a great character. <laughs> yes, he's, yes. he's written really well. So I think the book redeems himself in giving him enough history and background and, and an actual character. So he's just not He's not just that tropey bad boy that is there for the main girl and the reader to fall in love with. But that is there though. And and I don't know. I don't I don't hate it. In fact I might actually kinda love it. <laughs> I think I'm the only one then in this room that wasn't really that affected by Dara. Oh, good for you. That meant you got to enjoy the book free of this. <laughs> well, yeah, no, it's like I read it. I, I read it and I, okay, I understood it. But then after a while, I was just like, okay, yeah, no, Dara's just another character. We're just going to slide right on. Um, but, and I think for me, for me, Dara was interesting because of the fact that he was so much an outsider. Right, so he he's an outsider, obviously, initially with the Nari chapters because she exists in your regular old human world, and now you've got this mystical, magical creature that makes carpets fly and summons fire, mm. you know, uh, and so he's a very strange being. But then when you actually flip it around and you go to Deva by itself, he is also very much um, on the fringes of that society, uh, just by virtue of his tragic history that has become legend in that society because of because, you know, of things that I will not spoil. And it was really interesting to see how he was treated by both of these sides and how he was managed by powers above him because they understood how much power he and his legend commanded. I will also say, spoiler alert, for further books, you do get Dara POV chapters then. Oh, I don't know ah. if I want that. I want mm. that. I want that. I'm back <laughs> at also, it. Look at Lynn Mark intellectualizing my superficiality. <laughs> Uh, so two things to say. Firstly, Netflix has bought the rights. So um, I'm excited to see it because I think it's going to be so beautiful, especially with all that Netflix money. But I also think that you should read the books. I know that it's a very book reader thing to say to read the books before um, you watch the thing. But I think for this one, it's really worth it. The other one was, was there anything that we didn't like as much? Because so far, we've talked extensively about how much we like the books, uh, the book rather. I don't know. I struggle to think of something specifically that I didn't like, which is which is an interesting and novel experience for a book and a series that I hadn't previously heard of. I'm hard pressed to think of what I would change or improve, honestly. Um, all of the things that I've just said, I, I, I really don't think, at least for the first book, sometimes these things sort of don't necessarily sustain throughout the trilogy. And we're going to talk more about that later. But um, no, no, for me, this was really a near perfect fantasy reading experience. 
I, I will say that there were elements that I didn't quite like in subsequent books, but I don't think that was necessarily a function of the books themselves as you know further plot points, which I cannot spoil, <laughs> so I can't really talk about them more. But I, I guess for me, City of uh, City of Brass, especially coming back to it again after finishing the series, I was struck a little bit that really the first book is an expositionary tool. Both Nari and Ali play this role. And probably, I would say, you don't stop getting the exposition for about two-thirds uh, of the of the book, mm. which after a certain point, I, I kind of stopped absorbing. But it's really a minor complaint, to be quite honest, because <laughs> I really enjoyed it. Do you think you could read this book as a standalone? I think I could. My, the only thing that drives me towards obviously wanting it to continue as a series is that as with a lot of first books, it doesn't, it doesn't really wrap the story up, right? Mm. So, yeah. so there are a lot of questions still outstanding, which I, I do think is a deliberate choice. Look, I started shopping for the second book halfway through. I so. bought the second book. So. <laughs> so there we are. We've been talking about The City of Brass by S.A. Chakraborty. It is book one in the Devabad trilogy. And it is the experience of reading trilogies that we're going to continue discussing in our footnotes. But have you read the book? Do you plan to? Do you enjoy fantasy reads? Do you have favourites you want to share? WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. Tweet us at BFM Radio and write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. And that brings us to footnotes. Uh, so because we've been talking about fantasy, it's not uncommon for fantasy books generally to be, if you're lucky, a trilogy. If you are unlucky, you are stuck in Robert Jordan's Wheel of Time. And, you know, has it's that just, even ended yet? No, it has not. I do not think <laughs> also, it has. Also, he died. So it will be conti- never going to end. It might not be continued by, by other people. Yeah, a la Mario Puzo. But, you know, it's it's one of those things. And so we thought that we would talk um, on, on this side of the show about the joys and anxieties of reading series and trilogies. And um, that's something that I was thrust back into reading The City of Brass because I enjoyed it so much. And halfway through, I started to recognise I'm going to finish this book on Friday and then I'm just not going to know, am I? What happened to Nari and Ali and all the rest of them? Great. Um, And it's good and bad, right? I think it's what the author wants. But as a reader, it's tough. So I texted both Linmark and Lynn um, at around the same point saying, I'm feeling trilogy anxiety. And that's exactly what it was. It's that feeling when you're halfway through a really good book and you realize that it's not going to end in this book. And there's both a joy in knowing there's more, but also given just life now with very little time. And I often say I want to read things and never get to them. This real fear that I don't, I'll never get to the other books, even though I want to. And, and I increasingly feel that. I increasingly feel that mostly because I just don't have enough time to commit to trilogies and series. Um, and so I don't know, this, this anxiety is, is something that I face a lot with books that I read that I know are not standalones. Yes, I think uh, I think a lot of us can identify with that. Uh, I certainly feel that as well. Um, less so, admittedly, with series that are already fully published. My biggest anxiety comes when I have to wait for the second or third installment, which is going to be published 
in eight months' time, in a year, you know, because a year is an interminable wait. Um, and I, when I, when I read um, City, the City of Brass and its sequel, Kingdom of Copper, the third book wasn't out yet. I had to wait eight months, and uh. um, it was one of those few books where I actually went and I. Reordered it. You know, I was calling my local bookstore as soon as the publishing date rolled around because I just had to know, right? But at the same time, sometimes life does get in the way. And I do have series that, you know, I've read maybe one book, maybe two books. I have the third book, but I've just never gotten around to it. And I do think that that is a shame because overall, I do, I love a series because I think that three books, five books, ten books, um, provided, of course, that it ends, uh, it does give the authors so much more leeway to grow their characters. And that's really what I'm in it for sometimes, right? Like, at the end of ten books, I want to be able to come back to the first one and see, wow, yeah, he was a, this guy was a really different character. It's amazing that kind of emotional journey that he went through in addition to the physical crossing of borders. So there's there's a, such a specific skill set, I think, involved in writing good series because you have to pace yourself, right? Fundamentally, each book will have to leave you on a moment that has you feeling like, okay, I didn't just read this just to get to the next book. I feel satisfied with the story as it was expressed here. But at the same time, I really desperately cannot wait because I need to see what happens next. And um, all that stuff about characterization, I think, is also so much to do with the skill of writing it because you have to be so precise about it and not overplay your hand. And um, I also think that there is an issue here of pressure because I'm thinking of, you knew I was going to say it, I think, George R. R. Martin and, <laughs> you know, the, the struggles that he's been having and, um, and the ways in which fans also have been pretty much cyberbullying him into trying to get him to write um, or to finish or to publish um, the the next installment of, of Game of Thrones. And so... I don't know. I mean, I love a series, but I think that the the pressure that it creates both for authors and publishers as well as readers can be a double-edged sword. And I think that pressure sometimes translates into this other experience that I tend to get... I don't know how to deal with it is when I loved a first book and then I decide I want to read the rest of the trilogy or the series and then progressively it's just not as good anymore but you're kind of stuck wanting to know what happens and so you push yourself to read it anyway. That was me Um, in Hunger Games. I, w- I was just going to say Hunger mm. Games is the first thing that comes to mind for me um, because I love the first book, but progressively I was just losing interest. The movies were actually much better in the second and third. Um, but yeah, that series kind of, then you, you get exhausted and you're just on it because you want to reach the end. Um, the other thing that happens is something like, um, there's this series called The School of Good and Evil by Soman Chenani, where I love the trilogy, it was supposed to be a trilogy. You get to the end of the trilogy and you realize, hey, they've decided that they're going to tell adjacent stories now. And that's where that sort of publisher pressure comes in, right? Because the series has become popular enough that they've suddenly decided to convert it into something more than we were originally told to commit to. And I kind of don't like that either. So I have a, I have a non-book example of this, uh, which is the Harry Potter series. Uh, which you know underwent this exact same transformation. Mm-hmm. It went from the original seven, nine movies um, <laughs> to to b- movies being based off of like you know the smaller anthologies. And at that point, yes, I do agree. You're kind of stretching it a bit. Um, when a series ends, it should give you that feeling of finality that you've come one whole beautiful you know painful circle and. 
you know, from then on, it's it's the happily ever after, right? You know, life doesn't end like a book does, but you can kind of happily imagine that your the characters have gone through the most critical, difficult part of their lives, and then from then on, it'll be smooth sailing. That's for me the kind of feeling that a series should give you. And if it if that happens at three books, it happens at three books. If it happens at five or ten, so be it, right? But you have to you have to be able to uh, give that sense of satisfaction. It's not. It's I think much easier said than done. So in closing, um, I will say, Lynn, I think that you've been pretty good about not being smug, frankly, because um, it is a common problem <laughs> with book readers. And I think everybody, all of us in the show will identify with this. There are entire memes built out of it with uh, scenes like, for example, Red Wedding, Purple Wedding, you know, people just going, <laughs> just you wait. You know, <laughs> it's, it's a classic reader problem. And in this case... Lynn, you are the only one who can who can pull that move, who can do the smart slash uh, slightly smug slash empathetic face um, of, well, yes, I've read all the books. Um, from my lofty position of having read all of them, you've got so much more to go. Yeah, no, but I, I think are they worth a, it? They're very worth it. 100%. Good. I'm glad. I'm glad that I'm not going to regret this experience because <laughs> I'm on it. I'm on the train. I just need to see the end. Uh, we've been talking today about a couple of things. So in this segment about the anxiety and joys really of reading series or trilogies, uh, very common in the fantasy and sci-fi genre for that matter. Um, do you like series? Do you prefer standalone books? And also, are you planning to read City of Brass, uh, which is the book that precipitated this whole discussion? First book in the Deva Bad trilogy written by S.A. Chakraborty. Uh, let us know your thoughts. You can WhatsApp us 018-789-8899. You can tweet us at BFM Radio. And write to us at buythebook at bfm.my. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us. You'll Thanks, be, guys. Will you be back for book two? Um, for book two, certainly. Ha, there we go. <laughs> um, you've been listening to Buy the Book, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.